The title for today is Why? As you'll know, my custom is often, or maybe you haven't noticed, but you will when I explain it to you, my custom is often to ask a question and lead you to a conclusion at the end. I'm going to work kind of backwards today. I'm going to ask the question of why, and just a few seconds early on, I'm going to give you the answer. But before I do that, I'd like to read out of Psalms chapter 73. Psalms chapter 73. We'll get back maybe next week to our Psalms of Ascent, but I wanted to to spend a moment here, given the circumstances. Psalm 73 says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault with them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would, have, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discovered their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away. Utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me in glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my proportion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. And so this morning, maybe 
you didn't have the same question or response or thoughts, at least, that I did when learning Thursday of Sister Emma's passing, but I, I thought, why? So I invite you, as Asaph, who was inspired by the Lord to write this passage, says, It seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. So I invite us to ask the question, why? As I said, it's one of the more challenging questions we can ever ask. I was taught very early on to be careful how I asked that question. In fact, I remember one afternoon, I remember the room I was standing in, and my father very sternly, yet lovingly, told me, I shouldn't ask that question. I'm very positive he was referring to the way in which I was asking it, not that we should never ask why. In fact, I'm pretty sure that at that age and at that time, I was acting more like the child that I was and saying, why? With all of the negative emotions that go with it. Like a spoiled little kid. Sometimes the answer is because I said so. I get some head nods there. It's okay to ask why, but we have to be certain we ask it with the right heart. And that was something I struggled with. And I've never forgotten that day. I don't even remember what the question was about. Context really matters little. But I remember the discussion that we had about that and then trying my hardest through most of my life to ask that question appropriately. And sometimes when told to do something, I would say, okay, I'll do it. Can you help me understand the goal? That's a little bit different, isn't it? So I can fulfill the task you set before me, rather than just say, why am I doing this? To say, okay, help me understand. Usually that's received a little bit better than just a sharp why. (laughs) When it comes to questions of life and death, why is still there as well. But I told you, I don't have the answer. I don't know why. I don't know why our beloved sister at the age of 83 was taken from us so suddenly. We hear a lot of common phrases, especially among Christians. We'll hear, well, it was her time. Or the Lord needed her. Or it was God's plan. I don't know whether those are true or not, but I know they often don't satisfy me. And I try very hard to never give those as answers to people. Real quickly, just a personal story. I've told a few this week. When someone passes, it really causes you to reflect, doesn't it? In driving home after receiving the news, I recalled when Sister Helena Organist passed away. 
I was expecting it to be her mom. She was either 99 or 98 at that point. And I walked into that house, and she was sitting there in her chair. And I got on my knees in front of her to hug her. And this 99-year-old woman wept bitterly. And she pulled back and grabbed my face. And she said, why? That's hard. And all I could say is, the Lord knows. And she cried some more. And with time, she accepted that. So I'm not going to stand here today and ask you why and lead you down a long path and give you a specific answer. I'm going to tell you I don't know. Why did she come through a broken hip and then a hip replacement, COVID and cancer and all this to die? July 2nd, 2020, she posted a text I have my PET scan on July 13th. I will get the results on July 15th. Notice this. Pray for good results. Not sure what the next steps will be. It's all in the Lord's hands. God has been so good to me. I give him all the praise. A few days later, we get a post from her daughter with a picture with her and her doctor. It was on the 15th of July, the day she got her results. And her daughter says, no cancer can be found. All the spots in her liver and her colon have been resolved. Something he, talking about the physician, says is as close to a miracle as you can get for stage four cancer. And we celebrated, didn't we? And then, as I said, 274 days later, she suddenly passes, not from cancer, not from COVID, not from anything. So I have to depend on what the Lord has said and follow in Ezekiel's footpath when God asked him a hard question. And he said, only you know. I have to rely on the blind man who was healed by Jesus and was interrogated by the Pharisees. And they said, you couldn't have been healed by him. This man's a sinner. And the blind man gave the best response ever when he said, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. So perhaps instead of asking why, we should ask the question, what? This goes back to my often used phrase that you're probably familiar with. So what? The question we should ask at the end of every sermon, at the end of every Sunday school lesson, at the end of every experience in life where we feel like there's something to learn from it, we should ask the question, so what? So what did I learn? So what am I going to do? So what does this tell me about the past? What does this show me about the future? So what? Because if we time and time again simply walk into a Sunday school classroom or into a service and listen to a sermon and walk out unchanged, We might as well not have come at all. So we must ask ourselves, so what? So I have three questions for us. Not why, but what? 
what occurred during this trial for Emma. What should you learn from her? And what should you do now? It seemed to me unfair on Thursday to heal her of cancer and take her a short time later. But our sister patiently and with her faith underwent chemotherapy and other treatments and remained remarkably positive through all of it. In fact, I have no doubt that the many doctors and nurses and healthcare workers and those that she came in contact with knew where she stood. She lived and shared her testimony of her Lord. And we don't know what resulted from that. We have no idea and never will know exactly the outcome of her living into her faith and sharing that with who she came in contact with. You know who does know the outcome? She does. We have no idea the impact we have on people's lives. And so we can go around and ask ourselves, why is this happening? Why me? Why could this happen now? Why do the evil seem to prosper? Why do the good seem to be cut down? Why, why, why? Or we can simply live into what we know. I know who Jesus Christ is. I know what he's done for me. And I'm going to live into my love for you. I'm going to tell you about him. And I'm going to love you in the way that he gives me strength. That is what I should do during a trial. That is what I should do during difficult times. We may never know why, but that shouldn't change what we do in difficult times. And we also want to know what we should learn from this situation. I know that many of you know her Probably all of you know her better than I do. I know that she grew up here. I know that some token, somewhere around 50 years ago, according to both her daughters and her granddaughter, something changed in her. She had an experience down the road at Ward's Grove that changed her life. And they've said as much. She was different afterwards. And she lived closer to the Lord. I tell you what I do know. Knowing the Lord matters the most. It pales in comparison to everything else you can do. No amount of good works replaces you knowing the Lord. No amount of service for Him replaces your relationship with Him. Knowing him is the most important thing that will ever happen in your life. It will change your life forever. And I believe she knew him. How do we know that? Well, based on what she said, but also based on how she lived. Living for the Lord is vital as well. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I knew that she loved me, and I'm sure you do as well. But what comes first is loving the Lord. Matthew 22 and 37, 
A familiar verse says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hangs all the laws and the prophets. So first we are to love God with everything that we have. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, everything that we have, we should follow after Him because it is what we ought to do. Because He loved us first. Because He deserves it. Because He created us. Because He died for us. And we owe Him everything. Everything that we are. Everything that we ever will be, everything that we ever have rightfully belongs to him. And we should love him in that way. And while reading this this morning, I noticed something I hadn't noticed before. If at least I had, it hadn't hit me in such a way. There's this little connecting phrase. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with your soul and your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And then we have this little phrase. And a second is like it, or like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch that? Loving your neighbor is like loving the Lord. Loving the Lord comes first. Make no mistake about it. By all means, your duty is to him first. But to love your neighbor is like loving him. And I saw over and over again that she loved her neighbor, that she loved us, that she loved her family, she loved her brother, or all of her siblings, but her brother who's still remaining. She loved her grandchildren and her kids. We should follow that example and learn from her. We should love the Lord first and we should love Others second. So what should we do now? I have a couple of verses that tell us. John 13 and 15. Christ tells his disciples, For I have given you an example that you should follow. I'm sorry, that you should do just as I have done to you. Philippians 4 9. Paul is saying this. What have you learned and heard and seen in me? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And 1 Samuel 16 and 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What does your heart look like today? Is it a heart of stone that's never yielded to him? If you've never truly repented to him and you are hard toward him, you have a hard heart, the Bible calls that, that means that you're not saved. That means that you don't know the truth that I believe Sister Emma knew. 
That means that when your time comes, whether it be 83 years as she has or 83 minutes, it means that you will eternally be separated from the Lord. You will not have arrived, as we sang this morning, in Beulah land and know all about it. And I'm mixing a couple of songs, but you know my point. You instead will be permanently and forever separated from the one who loves you more than you can imagine. Is your heart hardened and stony? If the Lord looks on the heart, does he see a cold heart? Maybe someone who has experienced the life change that God gives. Maybe you have at some point in your life have been saved, but your heart has grown cold because you've walked away however far from the Lord. That can be a long way or it can be a short way. It can be a short time or a long time. But the longer we go trying to be separated from God, whether we try or we just happens, the colder our heart gets. It never returns back to stone. I truly believe once God has saved you, you are always saved. But we can leave. Our hearts can get cold and it can be difficult to feel after him as we ought to. Or, since the Lord looks in our heart, do you have a heart that's on fire for Him and full of love for others? Because that's what He wants. I don't know why Emma was taken from us so suddenly. But I do know what we should do. And that's not waste our life. This is a fact I struggle with all the time. I struggled with this week before any of this happened. Am I wasting my life? Spending my time on things that aren't beneficial? We only have so long, however long that is. We shouldn't waste it. Let me pull this together and go back to Psalms. Remind us of a few things. See, the psalmist here is asking the same questions we are, slightly different. Why these things are happening? Why the wicked seem to prosper when the good seem to not? Why people make fun of them? Why things are going on. And this isn't, as I said at the beginning, uh, some, someone who's saying this uh, with indifference to God. I believe he's truly calling out with an open heart saying, God, help me understand why these things are happening. And look what he does. He enters into the Lord's sanctuary and he receives the answer. What's the answer? Starting with verse 23. Nevertheless. It's like one of my favorite Bible words. I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Let us remember, those who have a heart that's on fire and even a cold heart, the Lord is continually with us. His desire is to hold your right hand, to guide you in everything, to lead you to do the things that you should do, to take your hand and kindly steer you away from the things that you should not do. He is continually with us. He wants to hold our hand 
And we too often try and pull away. Will we let him guide us? Will we let him give us counsel? And then that beautiful verse. Afterwards, you will receive me in glory. We don't know how long our race is. We don't know the trials that we'll go through. But we do know that if we are saved and remain faithful to him, afterwards, he will receive us in glory. And I truly believe that's where our sister is today. Then he goes on and asks this question. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then the very last, it says, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Is this true for you today? Is it good for you to be near God? You see, the reality is if you have a cold, hard, hardened heart, it is not good for you to be near God. Why? Because it brings you into judgment. Because being in the presence of God, when you know that you are separated from him and are a sinner, brings in this idea of condemnation. You know what you deserve. You know what you've done. And it's not always pleasant to be in the house of the Lord. Because when you hear the truth, when you come face to face, heart to heart, if you will, with the almighty God, and he tells you that you are wrong and separated from him, when he reminds you that you are in fact his enemy, it is not a good feeling. But for those of us who have a heart on fire for him, you see, now that's encouraging. We're built up by coming together with other believers. We're built up and we are excited to be near the Lord, to hear what he has to say. It is good to be near the Lord when our hearts are on fire for him so that we can go out and do what? To tell others of his good works. Not my good works, not your good works, but his good works. As she said, it's all in the Lord's hands. God has been so good to me. I give him all the praise. That is a testimony of one who knew what she was talking about, who was giving her Lord all the praise to tell others of how good he was and is. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Can you say that today? Seriously, ask yourself, can you say that today? Maybe you're sitting here and thinking, no, I don't know that I can. Then what do you need to do to be able to say that today? I'm not so sure I'm interested in why you can't say it. I want to know what you can do to say it. Maybe that involves a little bit of why. Maybe your why is you're involved in some type of behavior that you shouldn't be. 
And great question is, what are you going to do about it? Maybe you can't say it because your heart is hard like a rock, as the scripture tells us. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Will you allow the Lord to save you? Because so oftentimes that's the difference, isn't it? We know where our heart's condition. We know that it's hard like a rock. We know that we need him and we will not allow him to give us the new heart the scripture tells us to because we refuse and we hold on to something. Maybe you're here and you realize that you are distant from the Lord, that your heart is alive, but it is cold. What are you going to do about it? Brothers and sisters, we can ask and be distracted with the why all day long. But I challenge us today, what is the real question? What will we do? What will you do right now? What will you do this afternoon? What will you do this evening? What will you do tomorrow when you go back to school or back to work or back to whatever it is that your life seems to have. What will you do for the Lord? Will you love him with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Will you love your neighbor as yourself? Or will you serve yourself? Or even worse, for those who have a rock-hard heart, will you serve the evil one? Because those are our choices. And so as we consider and pray This week, let us choose wisely and not waste the life that we have.